But with cooking, it's a fact known that you will never be able to cook everything in this world. To know that you you can spend your entire life and career dedicating to a craft you see does that you can never master is 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 daunting and humbling at the same time. This is the crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The ability to reach into the pantry of your parents and your grandparents has allowed many chefs to tell a unique tale on the plate. For some, like Zhao Yu, his unique heritage, coupled with a myriad of travelling and life experiences, has given him a truly unique context on the plate. And it's hardly surprising that he leaves an indelible mark wherever he cooks. Zhao, how are you? Yeah, good. How are you? Good. You've um, had a pretty fascinating career in many countries and, and made quite an impact in them. Um, you're back in Australia. What's it like being back here? You know, I, uh, I always liked living here. I had a great time living here. Um, and, uh, you know, I came back with a wife and a family. I think it's just a better lifestyle for, for, for all of us. You really took uh, Hong Kong by storm um, with an incredibly popular restaurant. What was what was that period of time like for you? Look, I had a great time. You know, I really enjoyed living in Hong Kong, um, working and living there, breathing. Uh, it's a it's a very dynamic city, very chaotic, um, and very. Um, mature dining scene. You can eat really well in Hong Kong and the best Chinese food anywhere on earth is all be found in Hong Kong. Well, you were um, delving into that world, but also a bit of a modern take as well. What was the response like to what you were doing? Um, yeah, you know, uh, for some people really enjoyed the, the whole experience. Um, you know, it was a a different Chinese restaurant experience um, and, you know, something that is new to the city at the time. Um, you know, how do you, they're thinking about coming up with a menu and experience curating that uh, for the diners that are both um, the tourists and locals that, that can like this type of experience. So pork is uh renowned in Chinese cookery. Um, your experiences over there, but what sort of dishes did you have on the menu that sort of really championed the, the pig? Um, so we have tasu, which is pork neck. We had, um, we had pork belly, uh, siu yok, which is roasted pork, and lu rou fan, which is a Taiwanese braised pork belly dish. And uh, my mom's dumplings, um, which had a mixture of pork mince and hand-diced uh, pork jowl um, and lots of cabbage. So actually a lot of pork dishes on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> but the Taiwanese braised dish sounds fascinating. Tell us a bit, a bit about it. It's one of the most popular uh, dishes in Taiwan. You can find this dish everywhere doesn't matter where you go in Taiwan. It's like a snack food. So 
you know, it's um, it's you can find it on the side of uh, provincial roads. It's often like a like an afternoon snack or a midday snack for truck drivers or uh, st- you know students, um, in you know getting off school. It's a little bowl of rice and uh, pork belly that's been diced, um, braised with soy sauce, uh, five spice, and uh, it's this thick, unctuous, fatty mince that's spooned over the rice. And some of the sauce, and you mix everything up, and it's yeah, it's it's the comfort food for Taiwanese people. It sounds amazing. You you mentioned your mum's dumplings. Um, how how well did you execute them to the to the recipe? Did you did you get it right? Uh yeah. Funny you say that because when I uh, when I um decided to put it on the menu, uh, because this is one thing that really connected me to my mom. And my mom's cooking. Um, yeah, she would. I would go to uni, uh, which is in a different town in Victoria. And before I go, she'd make like hundreds of these dumplings, freeze them, uh, and I'll take it with me. And every time I'm hungry, I don't have time to cook. I'll pop a few dumplings in the in the, in the water. So I decided to put it on the menu. I, I called her up, say, "Hey, mom, I'm gonna put your dumplings on the menu," and she gave me this half an hour lecture. It's like. What type of cut you're gonna use? What's the ratio? How you're gonna season it? What's the dumpling skin? You know, she's like, "Don't screw it up because it's my name." Uh, I, I, you know, this is this is this is this is my name on the thing. Uh, people are gonna be judged by like my mom's cooking. <laughs> she she was she was livid. Um, but when she eventually came to the restaurant, she sat down. She had them. And she says, "You know what? You make this better than I do." It's like, oh, yeah, and I was like almost in tears. <laughs> yeah. well, you you made an incredible impact in Australia before going to Hong Kong with Miss G's and Mister Wong. But um, take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family? And yeah, I mean, this is our livelihood. Um, so my my grandfather uh, was a rice farmer in Taiwan. In Luodong County, in Ilan Province, on the eastern coast of Taiwan, it's a really fertile sort of uh, mountain valley surrounded by these amazing uh, mountain range. Um, so it's, it's, it's lots of rainfall, perfect for rice growing. Now, um, you know, we lived in Tamsui, which is a suburb of Taipei. But we would go to visit my grand, my, my dad's mom's place, my grandma's place, a few times a year, and we would stay there. Um, but because the nearest market from this village is like an hour away, so my grandma became really self-sufficient of just doing everything on the farm, and she, you know, she would make her make her own soy sauce. She would make rice wine. We grew our own rice. We slaughtered. We had um, we had pigs on the farm, chicken, geese. Uh, we grew we grew all the vegetables on the farm that we ate. So cabbages, green shallots, rice, uh, bananas, pineapples. Um, so yeah, we 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 didn't really have to go and shop for anything. You know, all the eggs, um, all the pickles that she would make. She would take um, a hatched egg. 
and hold it up to a light and she'll tell you, okay, this one's going to hatch in like a week or something. So yeah, we, 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 it was a very, you know, so she was always in the kitchen and because at that time gas connection was not popular. So she was cooked out of this gas, uh, wood fire stove and you can just smell the wood burning every time I enter the kitchen. It's like the 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 sparkle and the 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 smoke of the wood. She would time. She would have this big giant wok, and she would you know steam and stir fry and and cook everything in there. Um, so it was a a quite of um, unique upbringing, I would say. Yeah. You mentioned all of the animals that you're farming and all the vegetables as well. Do you, do you remember any sort of pork dishes apart, apart from the dumplings um, growing up that you that your mum cooked? Oh yeah, so my in my my grandma used to keep a few pigs. Um, it was you know some sometimes she would sell them. Um, it's like a I think in the village in Taiwan. It was in olden days. A pig is like a, a currency, rather than money. Um, so, if you ever needed some cash or something, you would just sell a pig. Um, and so she would raise the pigs. Sometimes she would we would eat them. So because um, it's it's actually quite big. So we didn't keep them until she, you know when 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 she got a little bit older. She would it was quite heavy to process it. Um, so she would take the pigs and she would do a lot of all sorts of things with it. She would smoke the head. Uh, it's quite just traditional in, um, in Ilan province, especially a lot of smoked cooking. So smoked duck, smoked pigs are cured and smoked pig's head and just eat it with a uh, soy paste, Taiwanese soy paste. Um, but most of the time the, the pork dishes were, were boiled and sliced so oven cooking is not so much um common in in taiwanese cooking so most pork dishes were were simply boiled um and you eat it with soy sauce and sliced ginger um yeah she would make a braised pork belly uh so she it's called luro so it's very similar to Leroy Fun, except that um, the dices are much chunkier. Um, you know, cook for a long time to break down the the fats, and uh, you add eggs to it. So it's like egg cooked with like with pork, and she would always have it in the fridge. And if you're hungry, you just spoon some pork, spoon an egg uh, over rice, chuck it in the microwave, and that's like a snack. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like my kind of snack. <laughs> uh, what, what 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 lured you to a career in hospitality? Where, where did you start? Um, so I went to school. Uh, we immigrated to Canada when I was ten, um, and um, I started washing dishes at a burger restaurant. Um, so I was, you know, I was I think I was fifteen at the time, and I wanted I wanted to buy sneakers like many 15 year olds do i wanted jordans um my parents are like well we can we're gonna buy you reeboks but if you ever want the you know my the jordan sneakers you're gonna have to go and work 
So off I went, went to uh, the burger restaurant, started doing dishes. And I, I looked at the line, the line cooks. Like, wow, they're like shouting at each other. They're like running around frantically. It's like a dance. And, uh, you know, I don't like it's chaotic, but it looks like they're getting something done at the same time. It was kind of musical and coordinated. So I went to the, um, the kitchen manager. It's like, you know, can I, can I, can I cook? Can I, can you, I don't know, is there a position available? Can I, you know, so I, I think there's one, one night, one of the fryer guys, uh, just didn't show up for work. Um, he's like, look, can you just jump in the fryer and give us a hand? I was like, okay, just show me what to do. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've cooked in so many different countries. What what were the really sort of important venues and, and people that you worked with sort of early on in your career? I would say probably the most memorable and most um, formative would be my time in Australia when I first arrived and I was working at Tetsuya's. Um, it was circa 2005 and uh you know i came as a backpacker i had no money you know i i i didn't have a place to live i was sort of couch surfing um sleeping in someone's living room for months i wasn't getting paid um but it was a lot of fun you know here i am like following a dream um and uh i met some incredible people in there you know some are we're remaining friends to this day. Uh, and there was a, a really tight knit group of, of, of cooks and the camaraderie there was amazing, you know? Um, and that was a sort of, you know, the beginning of the San Pellegrino world's for the best. And then, at that time, Tetsuya's was sort of ranked um, within the top 50 and it was a really exciting time to be cooking in Australia. Well, that era that you uh, were in with Tetsuya's created the most incredible alumni of, of chefs that have doing uh, continued to do amazing things in Australia. What was it about the camaraderie in that kitchen? Look, I think there was a lot of young cooks and they were just hungry and, you know, this was before um, the social media era or food blogs. And if you ever wanted to find out about a restaurant, you would, you, the only way to do it is just go to the restaurant's website. And most didn't have phot food photography. This wasn't a very popular thing in the early 2000s. So we just you just read the menu and you're like, oh, okay, well, that sounds really interesting. So what that what happened was, you know, all the most driven young chefs around country, they just naturally, well, that's on, I looked at the menu and let's, it's a really popular restaurant on the world stage. Let's all go there and work. Uh, and that's, that's how it got started. And, you know, it was sort of like, um, if you wanted to learn from the best, you go to the best uh, and get the training. And, you know, if you've done some time, you learn something, maybe there's an opportunity for you to go overseas with, 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 a, with, a, with a good restaurant on the CV. 
you you spent a large portion of your career in Australia. What's you know after Tetsu years? What's been the real sort of pivotal moments for you? Um, I would say probably um, opening Mr. Wong. Uh, you know, it was pretty crazy to. I've never worked in a Chinese restaurant, um, so I. So it, a lot of it was just a lot of learning on your own. Um, it's you teach yourself a lot of the techniques and recipes, a lot of reading, and a lot of practicing, a lot of trial and error. I think like before the restaurant opened, we probably went through like a thousand ducks before to, to trial um, before we opened, um, and uh, yeah, and it was kind of crazy to open a really big restaurant like that. Um, so, but it was, you know, it was really challenging and I wanted to see how far that I can challenge myself. Well, give us a scale of, of what it was like to, to put it together because, as you say, I mean, Sydney had um, Golden Century, Barbecue King, Marigold, but this was very different. This was bringing it into a new era, the, the Cantonese offering, um, and such a huge restaurant as well. How many staff and, like, what, what sort of numbers are we talking about? I mean, I think, you know, we're just, just every day the family meal that we had to make was for around 60 to 70 people. Uh, it was, yeah, it's a lot of food to feed this many people and this many staff. Um, you know, customers would do a few hundred covers a day. Um, you know, you would order everything by the boxes. You know, there's no such thing as I want to get a kilo of onions. No, you buy a box. Um, so it was, it was everything, but just exponentially bigger, um, in that scale. Um, but you know, I think what was interesting is like, well, wow, okay, we, we took the Chinese restaurant business model, but, uh, how do we look at other facets of this restaurant in terms of guest experience and trying to hone those aspects a little bit better? Um, you know, like how, what sort of beverage offering can we offer? What type of, what type of service? can we offer and how do we make it a bit different? How do we make it better? How do we make it more comprehensive experience for the diner? Uh, as we sort of mentioned a bit earlier, um, the pig is so uh, integral in, in Chinese cookery. What's some of the dishes and techniques that you had on the menu at Mr. Wong that sort of really stood out? Um, I think we had, uh, yeah, we sell a lot of tasu. We still hold, we, we we still have um the roast pork on the menu um but also what is a really important part of um cantonese cooking especially making superior stock is the addition of cured ham that really adds this dried cured ham adds like a um, umami background that's essential to a lot of the dishes Tell us a bit about char siu and how how to make it. Um, look, there is as much variations, recipes of char siu as there are shops and chefs that make them. So 
you know, but the basic, the basic, the, you know, uh, the most common cut is using pork shoulder. How you cut the pork shoulder vary from shop to shop. Um, you usually cure it with a salt, sugar, uh, spices, base. After you salt cure it, then you rub it with the wet marinade. It can be a combination of soybean paste, um, fermented red bean curd, um, it was popular in the 80s to add food coloring to make it more red. But in Hong Kong, actually, um, most shops are staying a little bit more away from that and more using uh, natural coloring. So the red fermented bean curd would do that. Um, but you, but in, in Siumei shops in Southeast Asia and also overseas, when earlier immigrants... Um, set off it's more red because they're still using um red food coloring for for dye um so yeah you would you would cure it dry cure wet cure um at least four to six hours better overnight and then you would um sort of rinse off the wet marinade skewer it onto these uh, hooks or these long hooks and you roast it uh, in the Chinese barbecue oven. It can take maybe about 30 to 40 minutes or so. And uh, you take it out, you glaze it with either honey, honey maltose or maltose and water. Uh, it varies from shop to shop, yeah. And then you put it back in the oven so it caramelizes. Uh, and that, that's it. It's ready. We mentioned at the top of the show that um, you're back in Australia from, from Hong Kong. What, what, what are you doing here? So um, I'm working at Merivale, uh, as an executive chef. And uh, I will be moving to Melbourne to uh, a property on Flinders Lane. And I'll be setting up a Chinese restaurant there. How do you feel about uh, that move? Have you spent much time in, in Melbourne and had time to think about the offering? Um, look, yeah, I've never lived in Melbourne. Um, I always was interested and um, curious about Melbourne and was impressed with the, the food that I've been eating there from previous visits. I like the city a lot. Um so yeah, and I'm looking forward to using some Victorian products. Um, you know, how well, what's there, what's good there, what, how can I integrate that into uh, the menu? Are there any pork there? I don't know. I mean, it's there's all these are all very good questions that I'm uh, researching now. Tell us a bit more about this new restaurant. Um, I can tell you what I can what I know for now, <laughs> but. Uh, so it's going to be uh, a multi-level venue. Um, I think maybe two levels. Um, it will have uh, a Chinese, probably Cantonese-based menu, but with um, some dishes from other cuisines of China uh, in, uh, thrown in there. 
And um, yeah, I think that's all really. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're yeah. So we, we, we haven't, we're still in discussion of, you know, in the name or the style or the branding. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. Tell, tell us a bit about your, how much your cookery has changed. You mentioned when you went to Mr. Wong that it was all about reading and learning and, and understanding um, Chinese dishes and, and cookery. And then you spent so much time in Hong Kong and made a real impact. Um, what, how different are you cooking now com- given that experience in Hong Kong? It was a necessary and um, it was a necessary progression in my career. And that's why I wanted to move to Hong Kong um, and just living and eating and breathing every minute of it, um, tasting all the different restaurants and um, going to visit quite a variety of Cantonese restaurants. It was fundamental to my education, really. Um, And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, taking some of the inspiration that I've had and digesting that information thinking about Cantonese cuisine in the past, where is it now and how, how to integrate this learning and forge a future of Cantonese cooking in Australia. And it's something that I'm, I'm really thinking about. Well, you've already made a huge impact in Australia and in, in Hong Kong and no doubt this venue is going to be huge for Melbourne as well. What do you what do you love about what you do? You know what? I'm learning constantly every day. You know, that, I think that's the best thing about this profession. There's a couple of there's some professions in the world where you learn a set of knowledge. Um once you're there, that's pretty much it. There's not a lot that you can learn with the existing set of knowledge that you require for this job. But with cooking, it's a fact known that you will never be able to cook everything in this world. Even if you are the best chef in the world, there is still so much to learn um, and that you will never be able to learn to do all of it. And that's kind of humbling. To know that you, you can spend your entire life and career dedicating to a craft that you see that you can never master is 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 daunting and humbling at the same time well Jao, it's amazing to have you back in the country and and amazing as ever to catch up with you again i would love to having you on the crackling today good luck with the new project and uh, we'll catch up again soon fantastic thank you so much this is the crackling a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.